hacía tanto Mediation Station, a presentation of Conflict Mediation Services of Downsville. This is the show when we address the issues of conflict in our community and how best to deal with them. We will have guest speakers offering their insights and information, members of the community sharing their experiences, and in the latter half of each show, take your calls and questions surrounding conflicts you may have in your life and how CMSD can help. We hope to bring you panel discussions that examine specific concerns in our lives. Conflict Mediation Services of Downsview is a community-based not-for-profit organization that deals with referrals from community members about various issues of conflict and provides training of individuals to become mediator volunteers. We are located at 95 Eddystone Avenue in Downsview and can be reached at 416-740-2522. Our website is www.cmsd.org. I'm your host, Brian Martin, Coordinator Resource Development at Conflict Mediation Services. Joining me once more from CMSD is my colleague, Greg Fenton, Coordinator, Community Program. Thank you, Brian. If you've noticed, we now have a name for our show. Congratulations to Lynn for her winning entry in naming this show. We had an informal contest among the volunteers at CMSD, and Lynn won. Don't worry, Lynn. Greg is wrapping your fabulous prize even as we speak. That's right, Brian. We have something special for Lynn, who is one of our mediator volunteers, and we hope she's listening tonight. Our topic this evening is one that we hope many of you will find interesting, if only because of its unique quality, conflict, community, and the courts the Restorative Justice Initiatives Program. We thank the uh, generous support and assistance of Padre Hernan, Carolina Tevez, and all the people involved with San Lorenzo Latin American Community Center for this opportunity to reach out to the community. As well, thanks go to the staff here at Voces Latinas, 1610 AM, for their continued help in putting the show on the air. One of the main goals of conflict mediation, conflict resolution, and dispute resolution is to find alternatives to the traditional forms of dealing with conflict, violence, and the court system. Fortunately, people are always looking for non-traditional methods, or in this case, something not from the established tradition, but traditional in its own way. Sometimes we can stop conflict from happening, sometimes we stop the conflict from continuing and sometimes, when a victim and their offender have been identified, we find ways to heal a situation in such a way that both parties benefit and can move beyond the hurt. That process is restorative justice. Tonight, we have a special guest and one I promise to let do more of the talking. Michelle Sauvé has been involved in criminal justice in the criminal justice field for 17 years. She has worked extensively with men serving life sentences and she has facilitated support groups for women who support men in prison. She is currently the coordinator of restorative justice initiatives at Conflict Mediation Services of Downsview, where she manages all mediation and conferencing 
cases that are connected in some way with the criminal justice system. Currently, her work at CMSD enables her to provide much-needed support to victims and offenders as they journey through the healing process. In 2001, Michelle's work in restorative justice was recognized by her colleagues as she was nominated for the Ron Wiebe Restorative Justice Award. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you, Brian. Now, I did promise that I would leave the talking to the experts tonight, so we are going to take a short break with some music and then return to talk in more detail about the topic of the court system and alternatives in justice with our special guest, Michelle Sauvé. We will have a phone-in part during the second half of the show, so please, all of you listening to the show right now, think of giving us a telephone call and asking us about something you hear today or something regarding a topic of interest to you in conflict. The number to call uh, later on in the show is 416-785-0680. You are listening to Mediation Station on 1610 AM, Voces Latinas. Welcome back to Mediation Station from Conflict Mediation Services. This is Brian Martin and Greg Fenton. Joins me as ever. Our guest is Michelle Sauvé from CMSD, and our topic is Conflict, Community, and the Courts, the Restorative Justice Initiatives Program. Okay, to help us better understand how restorative, how restorative justice works, Michelle, can you start by uh, telling us how restorative justice and what exactly it is? Sure, Brian. Um, restorative justice is essentially a different approach to responding to harmful behavior. In our traditional criminal justice system, it's catching, whatever you've got there, um, we define crime as breaking the law, meaning that something is problematic because it is listed in the criminal code as an action that is unacceptable to society. Restorative justice alternatively defines crime as harm to people. So the issue is that someone was affected by what happened. Our criminal justice system then goes on to respond to the situation through punishment, whereas restorative justice says the response should be making things right. So the focus is on the people directly involved. People are the victims, not the state. 
So just to sort of sum up the differences, instead of uh, asking what law was broken, who broke it, and how can they be punished, restorative justice asks who has been hurt, what are their needs, and who is responsible for making things right. That sounds to me like the along the same lines as the transformative model that we use at CMSD. So what is it that you do at CMSD, Michelle? Well, I coordinate the restorative justice program, and basically we provide the opportunity for victims and offenders to meet face-to-face -face with the assistance of community volunteers to basically do three things. To talk about the incident, to talk about what happened, and to talk about how they've been impacted and what needs to happen to address the harm caused. There's two processes that we offer at CMSD. Victim offender mediation is one of them and community conferencing is the other. Mediation involves essentially the two people most directly involved in the conflict or in the incident. Um, an example of that might be a woman who comes out to her car in the morning and the window's broken and her stereo is gone. So a mediation might actually involve that particular woman and the person who broke into her car. Community conferencing uh, looks at the wider community of people who've been impacted. It would involve more people, basically the woman, her support people, uh, the offender and their support people, and anyone else in the community who's been uh, affected by what happened. So you might be looking at uh, police participation in school situations. We get a lot of uh, school professionals participating as well. And uh, who can access these services? Um, the service is available to youth and adults. Uh, essentially, anyone can access the service. We uh, serve the GTA. However, primarily we serve the um, uh, North York, former city of North York area. Um, I think most importantly, uh, the process is available to individuals who accept responsibility for their actions and are willing to meet with the victim or victims for the purpose of exploring ways to resolve the situation. Now, I understand that um, the process of actually meeting your um, your offender, if you are the victim of uh, in, in this circumstance, um, why in the world would a victim want to meet with the person who committed a crime against them? Well, Brian, although every victim is different, we do see needs that are consistently expressed uh, many times over and over. Um, essentially, uh, victims have a lot of questions. They want to know why me? Um, were you watching our house? Um, you know, was there anything I could have done differently to prevent this from happening? Um, so a lot of questions that really only the offender might have the answer to. Uh, another reason they would want to participate is they have a strong need to tell their story. Um, and that can be most effective when they're actually telling it to the person who's responsible. Um, lastly, Interestingly enough, many victims want to play a part in preventing it from happening again, um, whether that's to themselves or to um, somebody else. Um, there's that need to uh, want to increase the safety in the community. The value in the process for the person responsible is the opportunity to f hear firsthand how they've impacted another. So it's really focused on the human consequences of their actions. They have the opportunity to deal with the situation in a way that they can feel good about and be able to put the matter behind them and move on with their lives. So in a way for both uh, parties it can be more proactive than sort of sitting back and letting the courts take over in this instance and give them a resolution that one or both parties may not be satisfied with. That's very interesting. 
Could you give us one or two examples of situations that you have assisted with? Um, sure, I can tell you a little bit about a community conference that we did this past year. Um, of course, I have to change a little bit of the details to protect, protect the confidentiality of the parties. But uh, it was a situation in a community um, where a few youth had gone through their community and committed acts of violence um, to their, essentially to their neighbors. Um, so they had gone through and done damage to property, to vehicles and um, gardens and that sort of thing. Um, so the case was referred to us through the court and we contacted all of the uh, charged youth and met with them each individually. Um, we talked a, uh, a little bit about what had happened and how they were impacted, but also how they thought the victims were impacted. And, you know, what's pretty typical, I think, is that they um, they had a, a sense that the victims were inconvenienced by what happened, that they were um, going to be out of pocket for the deductible. Um, so they had a, a bit of a sense of how people were impacted. We set up the conference and we had the youth and they had various uh, family members there for support. We had a total of five victims that were there from the community. And um, the conference actually started with one of the victims, uh, a woman who spoke about uh, the vandalism that the youth had done to her house. And they had uh, particularly damaged the front porch. She had a very nice um, sort of uh, uh, like Victorian front porch with a banister. And um, she, uh, they had basically destroyed her front porch. And at the beginning of the conference, she, she started to cry as she told her story. And it turns out that she had built that, um, that uh, porch with her father who had since died. And so that porch really represented for her a, a fond memory of her father. It was really the last thing that they had done together. Um, so... I think that the youth involved in that case got an understanding that they would never have achieved um, in any other situation um, or going through the traditional court process. There was a real, there certainly wasn't, uh, a, it was definitely a jaw-dropping moment in the case. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. You mentioned youth. Uh, Michelle, I understand that uh, when the federal government replaced the Young Offenders Act, uh, a couple of years ago, they included as part of the new Youth Justice Criminal Act, its replacement, more options for the courts, Crown attorneys, and the police. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that, please. Um, sure. The Youth Criminal Justice Act, or the YCJA, uh, came into effect in April of 2003 to address concerns about the Young Offenders Act, one of those concerns being the lack of clear principles guiding decisions being made regarding youth in the system. So the YCJA contains what's called a preamble and a declaration of principles. Both of these sections in the Act contain statements about the principles and objectives of the Act. They include things like young persons are to be held accountable through interventions that are fair and in proportion to the seriousness of the offense. Um, this includes meaningful consequences and encouragement of repair of the harm done. Um, the Act talks about involving parents, extended family, community, and social or other agencies in rehabilitation and reintegration of the youth. And it also talks about uh, making sure that information is provided to victims about the proceedings and that victims are given an opportunity to participate and to be heard.
Has this new legislation impacted your program at CMSD? Oh, most definitely. Um, the underlying values of the legislation are quite consistent with our restorative approach at CMSD. Um, we are seeing a definite increase in referrals of young people. Um, most significantly, our agency has been selected as the organization to administer the Youth Justice Committee for the Metro West Court at 2201 Finch Avenue West. Michelle, can you tell us a bit more about uh, about our involvement there? Sure. Um, the Ministry of the Attorney General is actually the lead ministry responsible for the establishment of youth justice committees. Youth justice committees are currently operating or being set up in 23 communities throughout Ontario. Youth justice committees bring together young people alleged to have committed nonviolent offenses, their parents, victims, and trained members of the community to negotiate an appropriate way for the young person to make amends for his or her actions. Youth justice committees provide an increased role for victims and communities in dealing with minor offenses committed by young persons who are prepared to be accountable. Police may refer the young person to the Youth Justice Committee before a charge is laid, or the Crown may refer the young person after a charge is laid. As I mentioned, CMSD has been selected, and we are in the process of setting up the program. And I would like to mention that uh, we will be looking for volunteers in the near future. Um, if you are interested in volunteering with the Youth Justice Committee, please contact me at CMSD. Um, there is a process for becoming a volunteer with this program, uh, which involves an application process and training. And I just want to say that we're really excited about the Youth Justice Committee coming to our area and the opportunities that it will create for young people and individuals in the community. Sounds like an excellent program to uh, offer more support to young people um, and per perhaps youth at risk uh, so I know that right now that that's a, a major issue with uh, the city in terms of its funding to nonprofit organizations. Thank you for that, Michelle. Uh, Greg, I have a question for you. As the coordinator community program at CMSD, you're also coordinator of volunteers. Uh, how does someone become a mediator volunteer to become involved in programs like this at CMSD? Well, individuals as uh, mediator volunteers come from all walks of life. In order to be a mediator with us, People need to take the mediation skills training and then submit a volunteer application and updated resume. Then there is an interview, and depending on our needs for diversity with age, gender, culture, language, skill, experience, and interests, people are considered for the mediator rosters. If individuals are interested in the uh, victim offender process of mediation, they would take the victim offender mediation training and then contact Michelle at CMSD. Thank you, Greg. Also, um, in terms of programs or that we offer at uh, CMSD that we have uh, with Conflict Mediation Services, there's also the Private Information Court Service run through the North York Court System. Uh, Michelle, tell us a bit more about that program, please. Sure. Um, we've been running the Private Information Court program since the mid to late 90s. And uh, basically, we meet with the Crown Attorney who um, goes through the Crown files with us, and we flag cases that are appropriate, that we feel are appropriate for uh, diversion to mediation in consultation with the Crown. And um, then we actually go into the courtroom, and both uh, parties are present. And I'll just say that these 
types of cases are situations where a private citizen has laid a charge against another individual. So they've actually attended in front of a justice of the peace and um, uh, filed an information, and uh, that has been authorized by the justice of the peace, and the person has been summoned to go to court. Um, so both parties are present in court. The Crown will talk to the parties and get information from them about the case. And if the Crown still feels that the case is appropriate for mediation, um, they'll direct the parties to speak with us. And uh, either I'm in attendance at court or I have volunteers who go for me. And uh, we will do an intake with uh, the individuals, tell them a little bit about the mediation process and the benefits and risks to mediation. And uh, if they're interested, uh, we get their information. We get a little bit of details from them about uh, the situation. And then the matter is remanded for a period of three months. During that time, we will uh, go through the mediation process and then we will um, report the, resort, uh, the results back to the Crown. And if the situation was resolved through mediation, um, then the charges are withdrawn. Uh, Michelle, this sounds as an experience, it sounds less stressful than formal court proceedings, um, sort of the stuff we see on television all the time. Um, do you find that this process is, uh, is more beneficial for the parties involved um, going through private information court rather than the traditional um, uh, court uh, process? Um, I think it's an option available to people. It's not necessarily, um, my opinion about whether it's better or not is really not what we're conveying to people when we're doing intake at court. I think that the court process is uh, a process that where people aren't given a voice. Um, people speak for them, so they have lawyers who speak for them. Um, and the ultimate determination of what happens is really left up to someone else. Um, in the mediation process, uh, parties are at the center of the process and they're speaking for themselves and speaking from their own experiences. Um, you know, somebody might not want that, actually. Somebody might pref be more comfortable with a lawyer speaking for them. Um, so it's really not up to me to determine for someone which is better. Certainly, uh, when I'm doing intake with people, it's about making sure that they have all the information available to them about the benefits of, of both processes. And, uh, and then we're just there to help them make a decision that's best for themselves. Thank you, Michelle. At least uh, in the sense, then, having options makes it easier for us to reach a resolution, which is really the whole point of the exercise. Thank you. Uh, I want to open up the floor at this point. Um, is there anything else that uh, you would want to add about the restorative justice process or how it affects and how it affects conflict in our community? Um. Yeah, there's a couple of things I wouldn't mind adding. Um, I'd just like to say a little bit about the kinds of cases that we do. Um, it's actually easier to say what we don't do. Um, we don't do situations involving domestic violence, um, and we don't do what we call crimes of severe violence, so where there's a, um, a death or a sexual assault or something like that. Um, so anything else we'll absolutely take a look at. Um, I'd also like to say that anybody can make a referral. We get uh, many of our referrals from criminal justice professionals, um, but uh, we do get some self-referrals. Uh, we also get some referrals from 
other social service organizations. So if you're, you know, if you're in a situation whether you've uh, committed an offense and been charged or if you're a victim in a situation and um, you're interested in knowing more, you can just give me a call and we can talk a little bit about it. And, uh, you know, if it's, a, if it's uh, something that we could uh, assist with, then we can proceed. And if not, we can also make referrals to other, um, other organizations. And uh, lastly, I'd like to say that um, in addition to volunteers for the Youth Justice Committees, we'll also be looking for local organizations to provide opportunities for young people to do community service as a way of giving back to the community. So if you're an interested organization, please contact me as well. Thanks, Brian. Thank you, Michelle. Um, there is one thing I was thinking about uh, part of the restorative justice uh, program, but also uh, overall within the community program, and that's translation services. Um, many of our listeners t um, tonight might not have English as a as a first language. Um, do we do offer translation services? Perhaps uh, either Michelle or Greg can speak a little bit more about that. Well, I wanted to ask Michelle in terms of the court, uh, what kind of services are, are available for individuals who don't speak English as a first language? Sure. Um, the court actually provides interpreters for people who are in court. Um, so if an interpreter isn't available that day, the matter will be remanded to another day when an interpreter can be available. Um, <clears throat> as far as our own process, um, we uh, first of all, I'd like to say that the volunteer pool is very diverse and representative of the community. So if an individual speaks a particular language um, and uh, well, if both parties speak, um, say, Spanish, for example, then we could provide Spanish-speaking um, mediators. And then in some circumstances where one party speaks one language and the other party speaks another language, then we will um, have volunteers assist in addition to the mediators who can uh, provide interpretation assistance. Excellent. Thank you, Michelle. Um, thank you for your excellent and informative dialogue. Now, it's your turn, listeners. Uh, we want to hear from you. If you have any questions for our guest, Michelle Sauvey, on conflict, restorative justice, or the courts, give us a call now. Um, again, if uh, you have any other questions on conflict and conflict mediation services in general, we're always open to hearing from you. The number to call is 416-785-0680. We'll be right back after this short break. You're listening to Mediation Station on Voces Latinas.
Welcome back, everyone. Um, it was it's time to take uh, some calls. If so, again, four one six seven eight five zero six eight zero. In the meantime, until we get our first uh, caller, um, I want to talk a little bit more with Greg about the uh, about the volunteer process. Um, I understand we have a fairly large pool of volunteers um, with our base, if you will, at uh, 95 Eddystone Avenue. We're right in the heart of the Jane Finch uh, community and uh, an area that, uh, to my knowledge, has almost uh, has over 100 different dialects spoken. Um, tell us a bit more about the pool in terms of our search. Um, and we're hoping you're listening out there, folks, because we need, we're always looking for volunteers, and we're always looking for volunteers who speak a second or third language. Um, tell us a little bit about the volunteer process, Greg, please. Well, uh, individuals become involved with the organization for different reasons. One of our needs, our primary need, is as individuals who are going to contribute in a mediative role. So that involves uh, doing the actual process of assisting and bringing people together. So we're looking for individuals at any time from different cultures, different languages, different needs in terms of gender, age, Recently, we had a training involving youth. We have a strong need in terms of uh, having youth involved in uh, the community program, and I know that Michelle's going to have a strong need as well in getting some youth involved. Mm -hmm. And we work with a co-mediation model. So that means that we work with two mediators on every case, as opposed to the process practiced in the court system or uh, civil justice system or in the government system where it's basically a solo mediation model. We work with two mediators, and we find that system or that process is really helpful in especially parent-youth cases where we have a dynamic of someone who's uh, older age-wise as one of the mediators and a person who's more youthful as one of the mediators. So there's a strong need, and with the uh, anticipated influx of referrals from the courts, there's going to be a strong need for more youth in terms of filling the dynamic of the co-mediation model with parent-youth or youth-youth cases or conferencing cases. So we have currently in, um, on our roster, I'd say about approximately 125 people who are involved as volunteer mediators in some way. And we define individuals in basically three categories, active, inactive, and retired. And so... There's, at any one time, at least 45 individuals who are basically as active individuals. So that's generally they're available to take cases at any given time. We need flexibility in terms of their schedule and their availability. Most of our work in terms of casework is done in the evening or on the weekend. And it uh, tries to maximize op people's opportunity of being involved so it won't interfere when uh, they have a job or they have school. Currently, our roster has about 31 languages that we are capable of providing in terms of service when uh, people have a first language need that's other than English. So we can bring together individuals from any number of those situations. When we ask for people who speak another or, or from another culture and there's a, lingu a linguistic need, sorry, Brian, I've got a little uh, something in my throat there. No worries. <laughs> little linguistic need that we ask that they have an oral capacity. They don't have to have any written skills in terms of the language, but at least an oral communication capacity. So if someone is speaking to them in a language other than English, that they can understand, 
what's being said, but also they can converse back with that person. So there's a, there can be a dialogue that goes on. Is there anything else that... Uh, well, I, we spoke about we we've spoken about youth uh, several times, and I have a question for Michelle in a in a moment. Um, this to me sounds like an excellent opportunity. I remember at the office we've just recently had youth mediation uh, skills training, and it sounds like a fantastic opportunity for young people to learn valuable skills, um, enhance their own self, uh, professional development, if you will, and. I was actually quite excited by the young people that we saw in the office that were not just willing to take on, but become leaders in their own community, in their own culture, with their peers by having these mediation skills. I know as part of our youth program um, throughout the school year and also in the summer with our summer program, we try and get out there. Um, it, outreach is a very large component of the CMSD model and our, and our mandate that we try and get out there. So uh, it's great to see that people are, are taking advantage, especially, uh, especially young people are taking advantage of the um, skills that we offer and the training that we offer. Um, speaking of training, I wanted to ask Michelle about uh, victim offender mediation and the training that we offer at CMSD in order to get that pool of um, mediator volunteers who deal specifically with restorative justice. Sure. Volunteers are required to take the mediation skills training as an introductory course to our model. If uh, individuals are interested in going on and volunteering with the restorative justice program, they're required to take a three-day victim offender mediation training. We're actually, I think, contemplating changing the name of the training right now to reflect uh, that it does look at the conferencing model as well. So it's really about restorative justice vo uh, dialogue or uh, victim-offender dialogue processes. Um, the training starts out with heavy emphasis on the uh, restorative justice philosophy um, in, in, uh, uh, as it's contrary to the criminal justice traditional process. Um, we focus on the values and beliefs that underlie restorative justice. Um, we then go on to uh, spend a bit of time talking about victim and offender needs and how they are different from a typical community-type conflict. And uh, volunteers or uh, trainees are uh, taught the mediation model uh, and the conferencing process, and then they're given ample opportunity to practice those through role plays. Thank you, Michelle. Um, I'm wondering, um, well, first let me just say, um, we're still waiting for your calls out there, 416-785-0680. Uh, let me mention again that if you have any questions, they don't necessarily have to be about restorative justice. We're always interested, part of the outreach there of this show is to take your calls if you have any questions concerning conflict, conflict in your life, or um, in the community, uh, something that you've seen, whether it's uh, with regards to um, peers, co-workers, um, youth. We do a, unfortunately, we do a roaring business in parent-teen. Um, but uh, it, so if there are conflicts that are taking place in your lives, um, we certainly want to hear about, uh, uh, hear about that. Uh, and again, the number is 416-785-0680. Um, in the meantime, I would like to call up upon Michelle again. Can you give us another example of uh, the Restorative Justice Initiative and, and a case that you've had uh, direct involvement with? Um, 
Sure. Actually, maybe before doing that, I could just sort of walk through the process and just um, talk about how it works step by step. That would be excellent. Thank um, you. Just, uh, I think it's helpful for people to know, um, you know, when they're thinking about something like this, it, it really is um, very different from what people are used to. Um, so basically, when we get a referral uh, or when I receive a referral at the office, my first uh, step is to make initial contact with the person who's been charged or the person who's responsible for the situation. And um, I am looking for uh, some insight into their perspective about what happened. Um, I'm also looking to give them a little bit of information about the process and see if they're interested in exploring it. Um, the process is uh, voluntary, and that uh, also goes for offenders as well. And um, also what I'm looking for in that initial uh conversation is, is the person accepting responsibility for their actions? Are they, um, uh, you know, they may be minimizing, they may be, um, it might be someone who says they didn't do what they've been charged with. And in, in that instance, um, we'd certainly look at referring it back to the court. Um, I think that that would be more appropriate uh, to go through the court process. Um, if the person does have some understanding of the fact that their behavior harmed someone and they're accepting responsibility. I will then assign two of the mediators that uh, Greg, you spoke of earlier, who are in the pool, and um, I will uh, have them meet with the person face to face. Um, those that initial meeting can take place at our office if that's uh, preferable to the individual. Uh, we also do home visits, so if it's more convenient for someone that we come to you, uh, we can do that as well. And then you know maybe. Uh, another location near where the person lives, um, but more convenient, like we've done coffee shops and library meeting rooms, that sort of thing. Um, so the mediators will uh, meet with the person face-to-face -face and certainly welcome anyone to join them if that makes them feel more comfortable. And again, they'll be doing a more detailed version of what I've done over the phone with them. Um, so getting a full understanding of the situation and explaining the process to the individual. If the person uh, is interested, then the mediators will um, start to prepare them for the uh, mediation. At that point, I will connect with the mediators over the phone and we will talk about the initial meeting, which we refer to as case development. And um, if, uh, if we are all content uh, that it's safe to move forward, then I will make the initial contact with the victim. And quite often that's actually a cold call, Brian, that um, uh, when I call a victim, um, they are uh, usually very surprised that someone's contacted them. They've not been contacted before. Um, they sometimes don't even know that charges were laid. They haven't been contacted by the court yet because a trial date hasn't been set up and so they haven't been subpoenaed to attend court. Um, and so I will um, uh, introduce myself and let them know why I'm calling and that I uh, got their contact information from the uh, criminal justice system. and. 
basically see if they are interested in meeting with us um, to talk about the situation and about their concerns. So as I mentioned earlier, it's not really, I'm not saying, you know, do you want to meet with us so uh, we could talk about mediation. Um, it's basically we're there as a listening ear, listening to how the person's been impacted by what happened, uh, what happened from their perspective, and basically trying to identify what their needs are. So after that conversation, if the victim is interested in meeting with us, those same two mediators that uh, met with the um, offender will then go and meet with the victim. And this is where we want to be really careful that we are um, you know, making it as convenient as possible for the victim. They've uh, been inconvenienced enough. Mm -hmm. um, we want to make sure that um, if they have any safety concerns that we are addressing those, that this is a, as non-invasive as it can be uh, and that uh, we make them as comfortable as we possibly can. So again, offering them the option of uh, meeting at their home or meeting at our office or another location um, and also to inviting them to bring people along that will make them feel more comfortable. Um, so the mediators meet with uh, with the victim, and then again, I uh, connect with the mediators, and we look at the entire situation. And part of what we're doing is um, assessing to make sure that uh, we feel it's safe and would be helpful for the individuals to set up a face-to-face -face meeting. Uh, we're also looking at who is the community that's been impacted by the situation. So if, um, for example, you had asked for an example. Um, I did a case a couple of years ago uh, where uh, one girl at uh, school had assaulted another girl. And, um, uh, you know, we met with... Um, the uh, offender and um, interestingly enough it turned out that she had been sort of bullied at the school that she was at previously um, and we also met with the victim who um, I think was feeling a little bit intimidated by the process so we really explored how can this uh, process be safe for you and um, then we brought all the parties together and we actually had a conference in this situation and so we had uh, both girls and uh, family support there and uh, what there was actually a little bit of a delay in this case um, which I, I can't really go into the details but uh, it, it looked like it wasn't going to happen for a while and then um, actually what came up was that uh, the victim had decided she didn't want to go ahead um, which is fine because it's completely voluntary. And then um, I think the parents received a subpoena um, that would require her, their daughter to testify at court. And they were really concerned about the impact that that would have on her, how that would be for her. Um, so they called me up and, and they were quite upset and they said, well, you know, we'll, we'll do this conference thing. And again, it goes back to, um, you know, some people, the court process is is what will meet their needs other people find find that they don't really want to go through that process so um, you know the idea of having a safe and comfortable setting where they can um, um, meet to talk about their issues uh, appeals more to other people so um, because there had been this delay in this particular case I think um, the victims had shown up and and were um, uh, quite anxious and um, they had actually um, exhibited that through a uh, 
like a demand to, to leave, that they only had a, a certain amount of time that they could stay. So we got the conference going, and um, the conference went really well, actually. And um, actually, after it was done, uh, my co-mediator and I were writing up the agreement, and uh, both families um, sat out on a picnic table for about 45 minutes chatting afterwards, long after the conference had ended. Um, so that's you know a little story that uh, you had asked. Um, so after those individual, just going back to the description of the process, after those individual meetings, we bring everyone together for the um, mediation or for the conference, and uh, that actual meeting has different stages. Um, the initial stage is, is what we call the storytelling phase of the process, where people have an opportunity to tell their uh, talk about their experience. Um, and then the um, latter part of the meeting is where we talk about how to address the harm caused. So uh, what might result from that meeting is an, an, an agreement about what people agree to do um, that they feel represents uh, their resolution to the situation. Um, that agreement in the victim offender cases gets sent back to the Crown along with a cover letter for me stating that uh, the parties met and uh, what the outcome of that conference was and that we've attached the agreement. That was very informative, Michelle. Um, Greg, you, uh, you, did you want to add anything uh, to that in, or did you have a question uh, for Michelle? Yeah, I have a question, I, a couple of questions, I guess. It's, they're very related. Uh, what kind of issues do you find are involved with victim offender process and what kinds of situations will be involved with the referrals, the case referrals, under the Youth Criminal Justice Act? Mm -hmm. um, the kinds of issues that we see in victim offender cases I think um, are quite unique uh, in terms of that type of mediation. Um, victim offender mediation uh, I think for the most part is the only type of mediation where people come together that may not know each other at all. Um, so it's an interesting um, dynamic. Certainly it's very dialogue driven, very focused on um, putting a human face to the other party. So for the offender to see uh, the victim and to see that there was an actual person behind, uh, you know, that was impacted, the human consequences of their um, actions. Um, again, for the uh, victim to be able to um, see the offender, really uh, what we do tend to see in uh, results of these kinds of cases are that um, um, victims tend to come away from the process with an um, increased sense of safety. Um, so I think what's important um, most foremost is that we are dealing with victims in a way that doesn't re-victimize them. Um, that is always our, our foremost concern. And um, secondly, that we are dealing with um, offenders in a humane way. And basically what we're saying is that um, we want to make sure that they have the support to go through the process, um, that we think that uh, it's not really uh, who they are but what they did that is the issue. Um, so that's why it's important to make sure that they have support um, and that uh, um, they are recognized for the steps that they're taking to address the harm caused. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, we do have a caller on the air. Uh, go ahead, caller. You're on Mediation Station on Voces Latinas. Hello, Mediation Station, and hello, Brian. Thank you so much. I'm listening to this show, and I actually have a question for 
for the special guest tonight. Uh, the agreement. She uh, spoke about the agreement. I was listening to this very carefully. So what is the legal force of this, uh, let's say, let's put it this way, piece of paper? So does it have a, a legal force? Like, do the parties really commit to what they agree to? Um, sure. Thank you, caller. Um, the um, agreement uh, is usually written up during the process uh, while the case is active before the courts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd just like to say that uh, there's um, a high success rate, actually, of uh, these types of mediations and conferences, and that in, uh, is due really to the fact of how much prep work is mm-hmm. uh, is done beforehand. Um, right. So, so the agreement uh, is written at the latter stage of the mediation, where once uh, we've made sure that the parties have had ample opportunity to tell their story and to understand the other party, the mediators will then rea- do what we call reality testing the agreement. Does this meet your needs? Um, does it cover everything? Is there anything missing? Is this is this what truly resolves this situation for you? Um, So those are the steps that are taken at the mediation stage um, to ensure that it is a good solid agreement. Um, At that point, um, the agreement goes back to the courts and if there are outstanding um, issues that uh, need to be done, say for example a youth agrees to um, do uh, 10 hours of community service work at, uh, you know, some social service organization in the community as a way to give back to the community. Or another example might be that they agree to do restitution if they've if they've um, damaged something and there's an actual cost associated with it, and they agree to pay back uh, that cost. Um, when the agreement goes back to the court, the court will remand that matter over for a period of time until the agreement's fulfilled. So if the agreement isn't fulfilled, then the process can go back to court and continue on through the court process. So there's sort of like a backup there. Right. Right. So there are, uh, let's say, sanctions uh, if this agreement is is breached. So the breach of this agreement is uh, having legal consequences later on in in court. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you very much, Ms. Sullivan. Great, thank, thank you. you. And thank you, Brian. And I'm listening to this show. It's very, very interesting. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. And thank you, caller. Um, I guess that uh, that wraps it up here for our show tonight. Uh, I would like to thank Greg Fenton, as always, and Michelle Sove, our special guest from Conflict Mediation Services of Downsview, for stopping by and providing their insight. Uh, Greg, I understand that you have a special shout-out, and uh, I'd also like to hear about other organizations that provide similar services to CMSD throughout the city. Yes, uh, I want to remind the audience that our organization provides conflict resolution services to individuals experiencing some kind of issue or concern, whether it's in the home, with a neighbor, a family member, through the courts, or through some other difficulty. People come together to meet face-to-face with the assistance of our trained mediator volunteers. Our organization is one of a group of conflict resolution services in the Toronto area. In the Toronto, downtown Toronto area, there is St. Stephen's Conflict Resolution House, or service, I should say. In the area formerly known as Scarborough, there is Scarborough Conflict Resolution Service. And in the area formerly known as Etobicoke, there is a Tobacco Conflict Mediation Team.
And there is, of course, us who are catchment area for community cases that don't, does not go or do not go through the court system is the former city of North York. But cases that involve victim offender are throughout the city of Toronto. So I just wanted to clarify that we do have a catchment area, but we also are more open in terms of uh, opportunity for individuals who are experiencing situations that fall within the victim offender program. Our telephone number for referrals, volunteering and training is 416-740-2522 and our website is www.cmsd.org. And I just want to say a little quick thing to one of our listeners in Colombia. Her name is Alma. Very good. Thanks for that information, Greg. Our next show will be on Sunday, May 8th. That's Mother's Day. Don't forget to get flowers. From 8 to 9 p.m. on Voces Latinas 1610. And our topic will be volunteering. Tune in for more talk, questions, and answers on conflict, mediation, and the issues that affect our communities today. Good night and safe travels.